What can we learn from the queen of LinkedIn about telling stories for warm robots? Welcome to Tech First with John Goods here. If you've been around LinkedIn at all, you've probably noticed Goldie Chan. The green hair makes her stand out, but her consistent, calm, positive, and supportive content help you kind of center and ground and feel good about yourself. A couple weeks ago, I spent some time with Goldie on her show, and now she's coming on Tech First to share what she does. Welcome, Goldie. Hello, everyone, and hi, John. I'm so excited to be on Tech First right now. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to have you, and hopefully so is everybody else that's listening and on the podcast later on. Let's start off right here. Why are you the queen of LinkedIn? Oh, my gosh. Well, I think it's funny to say queen of LinkedIn. Huffington Post called me the Oprah of LinkedIn about a few months into me creating video content, which I think we'll go into in a little bit, but I had been creating daily LinkedIn videos and some of them were interviews. And so I got that nickname, Oprah of LinkedIn. I've also been called the queen of LinkedIn. I've been called Beyonce of LinkedIn, which is truly a miraculous title. And there have been a lot of nicknames that I've gotten from fans over the years. <laughs> so you started this, you kicked this off by having what I believe is the longest running daily video show on LinkedIn. Is that correct? Absolutely. So I was one of the first 10, I would say, very active video creators. And of the 10, there is maybe one or two other people who are left who are still regularly creating video content. So when I got into the video beta for LinkedIn, I decided to create one video and one video became two videos and then things <laughs> rolled along from there. <laughs> You're basically saying that making videos and sharing them online is kind of like tattoos. You can't just do one. I think it's actually, yes, it's a lot like tattoos from my <laughs> friends who have full, you know, like the sleeves and the back tattoo, and then it, it starts crawling up the neck. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, let's talk about telling stories. You're a storyteller. You tell stories with video and other ways. Of course, you are also a contributor at Forbes. One thing I have on my Twitter is that I tell stories with data. Your company is Warm Robots and you're about storytelling for Warm Robots, which are, I assume, people kind of like us. What's so special about stories? Wow. Well, I love this question because stories, I think, are magical. Stories are the way to connect something that feels like a dry idea. And of course, John, you do that with data, which I think is amazing. And as you know, I love your articles. <laughs> but you can connect a dry idea or a dry concept or a brand that has no life to the audience, the people. And that's what I feel is storytelling. I call it the storyteller triangle because what you need is you need the person telling the story, you need the audience, but you also need what you're even telling the story about. So completing the triangle is what helps us tell strong stories. Nice. I, talk to us a little bit more about that, about creating a story and what you look for and, and maybe what even makes a story worth telling. How's that work? Well, I, I think that we've talked about what makes a story worth telling before. A story that's worth telling, to me, falls into two categories. 
either it's a story that's been heard so much, so it could use a fresh retelling, a new version of it that makes sense for an audience. One of the things that I love to do is I love to bring Dungeons and Dragons into <laughs> B2B marketing. And I know it feels odd for some people when they see articles on personal branding and Dungeons and Dragons, but to me it makes sense because this is such a story-led world in which there's always a leader who spends days, months, you know, sometimes years working on a campaign to build out and let people play. So I think stories fall into that category of, once again, a story that's been heard before, but has been reskinned for a new audience. And then what is everyone's favorite, which is breaking stories, whatever is the newest story that has never been told before. I personally love featuring people on Forbes, especially in group articles of people who have never been on any major publication before and their story is just being told. And I know that my audience really enjoys that too because they like being able to discover new people. I will say the cutest thing though, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, John, is when I get people who send me pictures with their mom or their dad or their grandma even, and they were like, look, I got into Forbes and, you know, here's the clipping, like, are they printed it out? Or it's just like a picture of them with their grandma, like holding up a printed <laughs> version of the Forbes article. That absolutely <laughs> makes my day the most because it's so human. And I think in any part of good storytelling, even when we're talking about Tesla, right? there is a human element and that's what makes storytelling great is we pull in those human uh, foibles or weaknesses into trying to tell a story. It's interesting because when I'm looking for a story, I'm looking or I'm considering doing a story. I'm always looking for what's a surprising angle. What's the part that you didn't expect? What's the part that is odd or what stands out what makes it spectacular right and it's interesting because you can have the most obscure story ever but if you connect it to something that matters it can be a really really big deal so i did a story like a week ago on the idfa have you ever heard of the idfa no, I haven't. Good. Okay, excellent. If you said yes, you would have destroyed my whole point right here and my story would have sucked. <laughs> the IDFA is the identifier. We for rehearsed this before. <laughs> <laughs> we did no such thing. <laughs> the IDFA is the identifier for advertisers. Apple is basically killing in a sense. And it's got over 600,000 views on Forbes right now. And just because you can find the angle that says, hey, this is the key to an $80 billion industry. Right. And so that's one thing that I've done. But what's your strategy for telling stories? And, and I want to kind of differentiate because we tell stories in person. We tell stories when we're speaking in public. And you've done a lot of speaking in public and keynoting, other stuff like that. And we also tell stories when we're online, kind of like right now. Right. So what's your strategy for telling stories and, and, and getting them across? Well, I'm so glad that you pulled out that stories are different with different contexts. So let's do public speaking first, which sadly, both you and I are not doing a ton of right now. I wish we both were. But when I'm thinking about speaking in public with people, I love to have whatever I'm saying 
be directly relevant to the people that I'm speaking with. For example, last year I did a talk in Romania and so to uh, a very large group of business folks there and I wanted to make sure that it was relevant to their market. And when you tell stories, as US-centric, of course, as I get to be, I understand that it may not make sense to tell a story in a certain way based off literally physically where I'm from and where I live so especially in those face-to-face -face interactions, I want to make sure that I'm telling stories that the audience will understand. And I think that's such an important part. Now, if we want to talk about how I then think about telling stories online, there's so many different ways that I try to do that, obviously with my Twitter, with my LinkedIn, um, with my Forbes column. And to me, each of those audiences are very, very different. So if you follow my Twitter, you are in for a treat because it is a little bit all over the place, but I try to make Twitter very interactive because I think that is one of the joys of Twitter is that you can respond back and forth with people, you can reshare stuff, you can respond to polls. So I like to do very silly polls where you have maybe three serious answers and then the fourth answer is absolutely bananas and has nothing to do <laughs> with the rest of the answers because I think it's nice right now in this time to have a little bit of relief. But also polls are magical in a way because they help tell many stories that you are doing your own choose your adventure. And I feel this way about gifts Someone once called me a, a gifologist, which you I are a gifologist. <laughs> You're also a gifaholic. There's a lot I'm, of gift words that we could invent for you. <laughs> I, I love gifts in that I have an embarrassingly high amount of gifts of just me floating around the internet in general, um, on Twitter, on WhatsApp, etc. Because I have You're a very gifable. I'm very gifable, but also on top of that, I speak gift. So what I like to do is sometimes I'll open it up to my audience and say, if you send me an emoji, I will translate that emoji into a GIF, wow. right? So either that feeling like somebody sent me um, a hazard sign and then I sent back Worf jumping over a chair in the middle of an emergency because that's what he would do, you know, like if he heard the blaring sound. And I think it's fun to think about storytelling that way how we do visual storytelling, because for those of us who are especially writers, it can be really easy, I think, to get stuck in our, our heads with our beautiful words. And I, I love words, but I think there's also so many other ways to tell really cool stories as well as like beautiful words. There's obviously videos like I did on LinkedIn and do on LinkedIn. But I think there's also gifts, which are like short clips. There's so many ways to tell stories. I think it's really powerful when you find the best way for you to tell a story that you can express yourself really cleanly. I think that's really magical when you can find your best storytelling method. I love that. I really do love that because the story isn't just about what you're giving. It's also about who you are. And where you come from. And one of the things that I really enjoy about you on social is that in spite of the fact that social isn't always a nice place, uh, social <laughs> isn't always a supportive, warm, caring, loving space that embraces everybody and loves everything and is very happy and joyful. 
Social is also a place where people who uh, maybe they've been hurt or maybe they, for whatever reason, are looking for somebody to target, also target. And you've been the target of some of that. And yet you consistently share things that are loving, are kind, are gentle, are upbuilding and uplifting. And I thank you for that, first of all. And just talk a little bit about, you know, kind of your journey and how you've come to deliver that sort of stuff. Well, I think a word that is sadly starting to get overused without people really thinking about what it means is empathy. I'm such a huge fan of empathy because to me, empathy doesn't mean just uh, a new term that has also popped up, virtual signaling, right? I'm going to show you that I care by saying I love everyone. And then there's no heart behind it. There's no feeling or thought behind it. And I know for a fact that quite a few of my followers, especially on different social media platforms, they struggle daily with a lot of different things. And so I want to try, if I can, to address some of those things that maybe resonate with me so I can explain them or I can give resources. You know, a tweet that I cut and paste quite a bit and repost is just hotline numbers in the US for suicide awareness. Um, and depression, because I think that's something that people don't like to talk a lot about. But if they're given the resource, and then they can take it and address it in their own private time, then it becomes something very powerful. But yes, I think empathy, to me, is the root of really creating the kind of content that shows care and really has care in it. Because I think you and I both know, and we're not going to name names, of course, because that would be evil. Uh, but we both know people who like to pretend that they care. And it comes across to me so flatly because we're still animals at the end of the day. And I think a lot of us can sense, like on a very gut level, when something feels genuine, it feels like that person really thought about it and really felt that emotion versus somebody who's just like, I hope you feel better. Find my link, <laughs> like click on my link, subscribe now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I mean, it, it is challenging and, and it costs sometimes as well. There are situations where I've been unfollowed, you've been unfollowed, I'm sure, or attacked based on who you care about, what you posted and other things like that. And yet at some point, at some level, you have to take a stand and be who you are. I want to ask you, why did you start telling stories on LinkedIn with video? You were, if not the first, you were in the very first cohort of people that LinkedIn uh, allowed onto the platform to use video. And what, what motivated you? What did you want to do? So it's so funny when people ask me this, like looking back, because they thought, I would know that two, like three years plan. later, that I had this master plan. <laughs> and I mean, ask people what they do on, oh gosh, I almost said Periscope, but Periscope is still around. It's the other one that's got Meerkat, right? Like yes. ask somebody who spent their entire lives on Meerkat. <laughs> they didn't plan for it to also go down. So when I started on LinkedIn, I got into the video beta and it's pretty hilarious to me, the story because I had just left a head of marketing job at a social analytics startup. So this is like serious marketing. I've had a pretty serious marketing career for over a decade and I was burned out. 
and I decided to just start creating video content mostly because none of us want that gap in employment. And when you go in for interviews, you want to be able to explain what you've been doing with all this time. And of course, you know, most of the time we're just having reflective recovery time, but it's nice to say, oh, I was working on this small project. So I made one video, one video became two video, uh, two videos became 20 videos. And I think around 20 consecutive daily videos, that's when Jeff Weiner featured me in a keynote on new LinkedIn creators. And I thought, uh, that's like, I didn't expect that. That was not like I was gunning for it. I planned for that. I had zero plan for it. So my videos were on um, branding and marketing and pop culture. So I looked at everything from trains in America to Harry Potter, to all these phenomenons that you could put numbers and historical context behind and they were just mini episodes and i think i did my first 50 consecutive daily videos were only on that and as things progressed things got more and more i like to say nutty because i kept thinking i would stop so i thought i'd stop at 20 but then i couldn't be <laughs> because when the ceo of a platform shouts you out you don't stop um, and I kept thinking I should get gainfully employed, you know, and I was starting to pick up ironically clients that I was not trying to pick up clients for, but I thought, great, I'll just do this client work until I once again get gainfully. The goal was to get gainfully employed. And I'm about say 80 consecutive daily videos in, I'd passed that 50 mark, which I thought I'd stop at and I didn't. I'm at 80 consecutive daily videos, and I think I'm definitely going to stop at 100. You know, this is bananas. Who does 80 consecutive daily videos? And at this point, I'm shooting and editing them all myself, right? Which for somebody who doesn't do a lot of video editing or pretty much none before this, this was not easy. And at 80, I'm sick. It's Halloween, and I upload my daily video. I'm done for the day. And I start getting all these texts and people are just texting me, texting me. They're like, get on LinkedIn right now. And I'm like, guys, don't worry. I already uploaded my daily video. They're like, that's not, that's not it. You better get online. So I go online and I'm tagged in this massive post with a ton of comments and likes of the head of video, Peter Roybal, <laughs> dressed up as me for Halloween. So he bought a green wig Wow. Uh, they made a fake frame, like a LinkedIn video frame. So it looks like a fake LinkedIn post. And he just got a hoodie, which I love. That's usually how trashy I dress. So that's what they did to look like me. Um, and he just had a picture of him like looking into his phone doing a selfie video, which is the format that I was shooting at the time. And he just said, thank you to Goldie Chan and all the other video creators. So there was no mention of any other video creator. It was just me. And that's when I think at video 80, so you have to understand that's 80 consecutive days. I'm starting to really believe this is something real that I should really put more energy and time behind. At this point, I would say even up to 150 daily videos, it was just purely run by me being obsessive <laughs> and just passionate and type A and very stubborn because the first three months, so the first 60 videos I did, everyone said I was an absolute idiot. <laughs> there, I have no close friends. This is like, it literally ruined my friendships. I have basically no close friends. You know, I, of course I have my like longtime friends. We all do, but 
no one who was, I would say, like a second tier friend, all of them faded away when wow. I started doing these daily videos because they thought I was so dumb. And they just kept saying, go on YouTube, make videos on YouTube, go on Instagram, make videos on Instagram. They're like, this will never take off. You can't even monetize. This will get you absolutely nowhere. And, and it was funny because my response to that was, I know it won't get me anywhere. <laughs> so I didn't, I actually didn't think necessarily it would get me anywhere. But I just said, I'm really enjoying this creative process right now. And I think it's important that I see this through to the end. And I just didn't know when the end was because there was no playbook. No one had done this before. And, and I didn't know when the end point was because <laughs> no one else had ever tried doing it. And once you get into something that's like a daily consecutive video streak and you are doing the longest one, I remember, I think around like a hundred and something videos, someone else tried to start and they got 40 videos in before they said this was absolutely nuts and then stopped. Because I don't think people understand like publishing a real original video every single day of the week, including the weekends, means that you have to give up a lot. Like there's a lot I gave up on in order to do two years, almost 800 plus videos wow. of consecutive edited daily videos, right? Because I love live and I, I kind of wish they had started with live because live would have been honestly a lot easier. Yes. Because of course, like for those of us who do live really well, we're also still going to go back and edit our live videos and things like that. But live, you just hop on and then you're live and then you're done. And these were videos I was editing graphics. I was like learning graphics editing. I was doing lower thirds. I was sometimes doing subtitles. Like <laughs> these were, this was not just let's just hop on and the whole video took me five minutes to do. Like, yep. and also the platform, because it is consistently in beta and at the time it was definitely in beta, I remember there were days where it would take me four or five hours to upload a single one minute video, five no. minute video. Wow. Yes, but I had to do it or else I'd lose that streak. There was, I like to say this, there was never a plan B in my life. For two years, there was no plan B. There was only plan A. So I was, I remember being on a flight between LA and London and that's a long, yes, buddy, that's yeah. a long flight as you know. And I was panicked trying to upload a video because it wouldn't upload and I'm like I have to get it before it it's midnight my yes. time yes. Um, Pacific Standard because that's the barrier that I set for myself and I remember being so panicked I remember another time I'm literally running down the gangway to get on the plane because another like very beautiful like five minute video that I took a lot of time to edit was not uploading I shot a 20 second video of me running, trying to upload on my laptop. And then I just set that to upload too. And of course, guess which video uploaded this really hilarious, <laughs> slightly embarrassing, but so human, right? Video of me <laughs> attempting to upload. And it's a video from my iPhone of my laptop with the little thing, like looking like the bar is like slowly crawling towards uploading. That's the video that made it onto LinkedIn before the plane <laughs> took off. And I still fulfilled my daily video content. And you know what? My life would have been so much easier if I had just done bite-sized videos like that for the rest of the 799 <laughs> videos. But it was much, you know, at the end of the day, I thought it was so fulfilling 
that I shot and edited so many videos, just that in general, even if nothing had come from that, because it was so good to learn how to really edit, how to think about timing and lower thirds and all mm -hmm. this other stuff. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. honestly very helpful right now for me when I'm doing a lot of video talks and things like that. But as you know, John, things changed for me in my life quite a bit after this time, naturally, because now suddenly I was a known entity. Yep. People were flying me all over the world to speak. This was not something I did before, too. I think a lot of people think <laughs> I was always like speaking on stages around the world. It, that's absolutely not true. So before three years ago, I was never a public speaker. And I suddenly became somebody who's speaking to thousands of people as an authoritative expert in a field and, you know, running panels, which I love to do, moderating panels, and all of that fun stuff where you're engaging in a very public way with people. And then Forbes asked me to write a column, which is a really rare occurrence, apparently, because most people pitch Forbes and yeah. ask. Yes, it is. So Forbes was just like, they greased my ego by making me, <laughs> I forget what the title was, but it was something that felt quite made up. It was like a Forbes scholar or something. So I was a Forbes something magical for half a year. And then half a year in they're like, so how would you like to write a column? And I'll be totally honest. I pitched them something and they said no. And then they assigned me. <laughs> so people think, I don't want to take credit for this. People think that I came up with this swim lane Forbes literally assigned me, which I think is also rare. They said, you're absolutely the personal branding and storytelling expert. You know, throw the, a couple mm -hmm. of those words and make your own swim lane, but you literally have to have the words personal branding and storytelling. And we want you to write about that. And I just, I mean, to be totally honest, like my, my brain, right? Because I didn't know that people I know I know how to write because I've had 10 plus years of writing in-house behind the scenes but I didn't know that other people would trust that I knew how to write because mm -hmm. at that point everyone thought this is just some girl who makes videos can she string <laughs> together two sentences <laughs> because you know as we both know there's people who are magical on stage there's people who can make video content but can they write? Writing is so, so specific and words are so magical because when you put them together in one order, they're super offensive. And then so when you put them together in a different order, they're so like warm and considerate. And it's, it's such a craft to be able to write. And so I'm so thankful that I get a venue that was literally assigned to me by Forbes writing about, and they were so right. Because I now think back on that original column idea, and they were so right. So I'll just say, Forbes, you were right on that. Thank you for making me write about the subject that I now write on, because it's so fun to write about personal branding and storytelling. And they're absolutely right. It's exactly my wheelhouse. It's exactly the two subjects I care about. <laughs> well, it's super interesting. And Amber's chiming in saying, loving this energy. Amber, I, I, I heart turn... you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I could turn off this video and just let you go because <laughs> that's what you do. But I mean, there's such amazing stuff in what you're saying, right? I mean, we don't always recognize ourselves, even if we're great storytellers, how to tell our story. Sometimes we need somebody else to come in and say, 
That's what you are. That's what you do. That's how you work. And sometimes we're so, our, our filter, we're looking out, right? Right. And then somebody looks at us and tells us, and of course we get lots of people look at us and pigeonhole us or put us in the wrong spot, but sometimes it's just magical and it works and you figure it out and it's incredible. So that's amazing. The other thing that was interesting, what you said was the power of streaks. <laughs> the power of streaks is amazing. And I have uh, one kid who uses Snapchat and I mean, you know, he will not go to bed until his streaks are done. I mean, like he cannot lose these streaks. I'm pretty sure at one point he had streaks for like over two years or something like that. I mean, oh the God. power of streaks to keep you doing something is incredible. The other thing- I mean, I, I love that C word, consistency, right? Yes. I think consistency is so, so helpful and important for personal growth. Yes. And yeah. sometimes just for being on Snapchat with your friends. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The other thing is that's really interesting. And, and this isn't the case all the time, obviously, because people fail. It, it's a reality. We fail. Right. And we try something that doesn't work. But what I love about your story is you did something and it was hard. It cost you some friends. It cost you some relationships. It was challenging you persisted. You didn't have a, I'm going to monetize this way. I'm, this is how it fits into my career. There was no grand plan. And yet it's worked out incredibly well. You're an Adobe ambassador. You've spoken at lots of different places. You consult with a ton of, you know, A-list companies. It's very, very impressive. And congratulations. Thank you so much, John. And I have to say, of course, to be the corny person, I am so, so thankful for it because it has introduced me to amazing people like you because we probably wouldn't have met, right? No, we if wouldn't I have. wasn't so present and there's so many amazing people, just like humans that I've been able to meet because it's given me access and a platform and a place of, I think, authority, which is actually very helpful to meet people from because you're meeting at a much more equal level instead of that person that's a, a fan who's like asking for a favor you're meeting people <laughs> at their level there's somebody very famous i know and I'm, I'm not going to mention his name but everyone else was dying when they met him and he spoke at the same event at me and and i just he seemed like he was having a really tough day. And so I met him at his level instead of being a fan because people were like, take a selfie with him. And I said, I don't need to take a selfie with him, but I do want to hear his story. So he seemed so sad. He had just gotten off a call with his daughter and I just gently nudged him. And I was like, hey, are you doing okay? Like what's going on with your life? And we had this super heart to heart moment. He cried. Like, I was, wow. and that wasn't, the point, right? I wasn't trying to get that to put into a GIF of us like interacting and, and having a moment because it wasn't performative. Yes. It was real. And I really wanted to know that this human being was okay. And I'm pretty sure like, and even the conference organizer was just like, he was blown away by you, Goldie. He's like, who's that weird green haired girl that made me cry? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I feel like when you have those real moments with people at their level and you treat everybody at the same level too, you'd be surprised how much farther you can go when you're not either idolizing them or looking down on them. I could not agree more. I mean, everybody is human. Everybody is, has the same, we are who we are, right? 
treat everybody as you would like to be treated. And I think that goes far. I have to end with this. I have, I, I call it the world famous. It's not world famous, but I call it that. You know, I'm, I, I'm speaking it into being. The world famous tech first, 10 and five is 10 questions, five minutes, all about tech. Are you ready? Ready. Let's do it. Favorite piece of tech gear in your house? Oh my gosh. Uh, it's probably this. I'm like reaching over to the. <laughs> it's one nice. of my circle lights. <laughs> awesome. Uh, can't do without it. Tech that you wear. Oh my gosh. Tech that I wear. Can I count my headphones? Because I you live in them. I would say headphones. Headphones are AirPods because I absolutely live in them. Awesome. Excellent. Android or iOS? iOS. <laughs> okay. Uh, EV or gas or none of the above? Uh, currently, none of the above, but if I was to, EV. Okay, excellent. Mac or Windows? Mac. I know the answer to this one because you've mentioned a few times the question is GIF or JIF, and you said GIF, so you are right. You win the prize. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Guys, please. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's in the mail. Honestly. John, Favorite? don't lie on your own podcast. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Shoot. <laughs> Favorite guilty pleasure app. Oh my gosh. It's you know what? It definitely is Hearthstone. I love playing Hearthstone. It's a card game. It is very dorky and it is great. Awesome. No worries. Excellent. You are allowed to have one guilty pleasure, maybe two. Do you want, if you buy a car, do you want a self-driving car or do you want to drive yourself forever? Gosh, I actually am really excited to watch how self-driving technology develops further. I don't think that it's mature right now, as I'm sure both you and I have seen it and been in the cars in action yes. at CES in Las Vegas. I I don't think it's safely mature <laughs> enough for regular consumption, but when it will be, I will be very excited for our self-driving cars. Excellent. Yeah, I was at CES, I think it was two years ago, and I was supposed to say, hey, Alexa, bring me my car. And uh, yeah, it didn't function. So <laughs> It didn't function. Yeah, there's, there's so many of those things, too, where they have the grid lines, and the car is supposed to know it's supposed to park between the lines. And I yeah. watch it sometimes, and it's... A little terrifying, but I think once we once we get it right, our robot overlords will take care of everything. <laughs> once I stuck my foot in front of the wheel, just see what it would do, and but I chickened out, so we will never know. <laughs> John, next time, take your foot out of your shoe, take the shoe, <laughs> and put the shoe in front of the Ooh, wheel. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Okay. Wisdom. <laughs> Elon Musk calls you up and says, "Hey, Queen of LinkedIn." Do you want a free trip to Mars? Are you in or are you out? I, oh man, that's tough because I would not feel comfortable going to Mars unless I knew that I could undergo the rigorous training that like physical training. So I would need to do a physical to make sure that I was healthy enough to go to Mars without disintegrating in space first. <laughs> I will, so I'll give that non-answer of like, I would need to know if I was physically able to even consider that option. Okay. And this is the producer side of me talking, okay. of course, okay. the risk management. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> caution, no worries, it's all good. Alexa or hey Google or hey Siri? Oh gosh, I, I wanna say Alexa. 
Okay. I think it's so tough. I think it's so tough. They're all okay. good in their own ways. <laughs> Very good. Very polite. I mean, you know, <laughs> excellent. Well, thank you so much, Goldie. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, it's always so fun to talk with you, John. <laughs> excellent. For everybody else, hey, thank you for joining us on Tech First. My name is John Kutsir. I appreciate you being along for the ride. Whatever platform you're watching on, hey, like, subscribe, share, comment, all the above. And if you're on the podcast later on and you like it, please rate it and review it. That would be a massive help. Thank you. And until next time, this is John Kutsir with Tech First.